Hey, you're listening to the weekly sermon podcast, The Tab Talks, from the Lethbridge Christian Tabernacle. If you have any questions or if you'd like some more information on today's topic or about who we are, you're welcome to visit our website at thetab.ca. Thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace to you. I know, it's, it's like, it's kind of spring, I think. I don't know, it feels like it. It's a, the groundhog may have been right this year, I guess, eh? A little bit of an earlier spring. Um, I'll see if this thing's going to work for me, if I can remember to click it today. I got a few things I want to share this morning. I'm going to try to do it as quick as possible. No promises. <laughs> we, uh, as a community, I think there's, there is a sense of, of forward movement in the moment. And maybe for some that may not feel like forward movement in the moment. Some in your life, in your story right now, it might feel like you've, you've had the two steps or three steps forward, but, but maybe it feels like there's actually a one step or two steps back at moments. Anybody can relate to that at moments, whether that's in your personal life, your spiritual journey, whatever that looks like. I think that's, that's true for all of us on some level. But I think if we stop and if we look back, we can actually begin to see how God has been moving us individually, each one of us, that, that each of us, we're not the same today as we were before, as we were yesterday, as we were a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. And, and that, that maybe even for some, that, may, that statement may not feel true. It may be like, I, things seem the same as they were for some. But I promise you, you are moving forward. That's the thing with time. It, it just keeps going. It keeps moving and and the beauty of it is that, that God is in all things and working in all things and all around us all the time. And so I promise you, He's moving in your life. He's moving you forward and He's moving us forward as a community. And I am excited for where He's taking us. But because I see it as not just for us, this is a bigger story of a, of a movement of what He's doing in His body in his church, in this city. This week, on Monday, uh, there was an interesting meeting I got to attend. Uh, the city put on a, uh, a presentation um, about their community well-being strategy, and they invited uh, all major players for nonprofits and charities in the city to attend this thing. And so there's, I think it was like a couple hundred of us, uh, every major nonprofit, every major charity in town, and, and a bunch of church leaders as well. So uh, the room was full of a diverse group of people. The city presented a plan and, and, and highlighted some things. And, and I've got to say, there was some tension in the room. As people were, the, you know, the city was, they're presenting some ideas and, and, you know, questioning some of the things that have happened in the past and how effective we have been in meeting the needs in our community. And, and certainly there is, you know, room for growth. And you know, the heart behind it was, you know, how do we begin to connect to work together? You know, the city's put together some plans of how we can kind of partner together and be more efficient and effective. And, and there's some good ideas in there. 
Can't say that everybody was there and everybody bought in, that's for sure. There was definitely not the case. Uh, but the sense of what happened for me, the most important part that happened, uh, there was a whole bunch of questions. It was a two-hour meeting, and at the end, you know, there was still this, like, I don't know, I don't know what, what, what's happening in this city right now. I don't know if there's really some, like, a tangible plan to help, us, to help us meet the real problems that we see in our community. But for me, the best part of it was at the end, when uh, a bunch of us pastors kind of got together afterwards to debrief a bit, and I had a chance to, to connect with. And, and so this is some of the big players in the city, churches that you don't normally get in the same room together. So I was with Jeff, the new guy from E3, and, and Kelly Stickle from, Via, from Victory, and then, you know, there's a whole bunch of pastors. And, and, and afterward, there's this sense as we came together of, of, we believe that God is actually doing something in His church that he's actually uniting us and connecting us. And the, and the conversations that we had afterwards were, were incredible. As God you know, began to, you to feel his presence kind of descend in the moment as, as I was sharing with the new pastor from E3, just, hey, we've got this weird, crazy idea that we're, we put an offer in on this building on the north side for building a community center. And he heard it and he stopped and he said, let's stop right now. We're just going to stop right here. And we're going to pray because I believe God's going to do something incredible in this. And so we stopped right there and in the middle of this ballroom began praying for what God would want to do with this idea, this project. And the crazier part as I began to share, hey, we've got this thing, this music academy thing that we're launching here in the fall that, that we really want, we think that music could be this incredible vehicle to meet some of the needs of some of the kids in this community. And so out of this little connection moment, he's like, that's an incredible idea. And you know why it's an incredible idea? Because my wife is the music teacher at Wilson. And we would love to get together and partner and figure out how we can all work together. So in this moment of connection, just watching God connect his body to actually begin to, to move together. And I'm excited. I'm excited about the unity service. So please be there. Please join us on, on the 29th. It's at 10 o'clock, a little earlier. I, we're going to try to be on time. I know that's not our thing normally. Plus, we're starting earlier. So I, I'm, I'm challenging us to try to be on time for that service, Okay. Um, it's going to be, all of us are participating in it. We, the pastors got together last week and did some planning and, and we cast lots to, get, to see who was going to preach and I won, I guess, or lost. Did I lose or win? I don't know if I won, but either way. So I'm preaching. We got you know, kind of combined worship stuff that's going to happen and we're just going to have a wonderful time of celebrating together as, as the community. I share that because I think it's, it's important for us to recognize that God is doing something powerful in our community right now. And it's easy for, you, for us to miss it, right? It's easy for us to miss it if we, if we stay behind the walls or stay in, the, in the, the secluded places sometimes that we find ourselves. If we, if we disconnect from the, the story of what's happening around us, we can miss the move of God, right? That's what happened to the Pharisees. Jesus was standing right in front of them, but they were so tied up in their story of what they understood that they completely missed when the Messiah they'd been waiting for was standing right in front of them. So, that's not what I'm preaching on. We've been going through a series kind of called uh, Neighbor. And the heart of it being in you know, that, that passage that we find in Galatians 5, 14, where, where Paul takes what Jesus has said and boils it down even, even more succinctly. He says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the whole story of this new law, the new covenant summed up in this incredible one little passage. Now, that doesn't make sense because we have a whole lot of laws that we still function in. And there's not to say that there aren't important things, but, but for us, I think the story of understanding that is a journey that we'll be on for the rest of our lives on this earth, but one that the Holy Spirit, I think, is, is leading us into incredible depths in, in this season. Because I've been saying that, that the reality is that cultures define kingdoms, and then thoughts and actions are what create cultures. So in this season, God is transforming our thinking as we, you know, in Romans 12, are reminded, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into, the, into a new person by changing the way you think. That's, that's our goal in this series. And so some people have said, you know, this, this doesn't feel as, you know, maybe in-depth and spiritual as some of the other things we talk about. I don't, I would push back and say, I don't think there's nothing more important, nothing more powerful than talking about what does it look like for God to transform our minds so that we can truly learn how to do that incredible commandment of loving our neighbors. Uh, how many people have had a chance to log on to the Right Now Media thing? How many people actually did homework and actually watched some of the videos that we were talking about? Excellent. For those who haven't, if you don't have the Right Now Media account thing, uh, let us know. Just give us your email, and we will make sure you get signed up for it. Um, again, this is an incredible resource, and we're using it specifically in this series as a way of, of, of sharing some stories of, of ways that God has been moving his church and releasing them to, to actually tangibly love our neighbors in very unique ways. Some of them are very, very unique stories. I figured since maybe some of you haven't watched them yet, we're going to watch the next one in, in the series right now. Hopefully it works. We're trying to stream it, so. I want to hit the light? You know, I joined That's the gang when I was 14 years old. You know, because of the lifestyle, I got shot five different times. So in 2007, um, I found out my mom had cancer. And so I sat by my mom's side for two days, and I remember holding her hand, and I remember crying and begging God, you know, don't let my mom die. And I remember looking my mom in the eyes. I remember she, she gained consciousness one last time, and I'm looking in her eyes, and. I promise her, like, Mom, I'm gonna change my life for you. You know, like, you could go now. I'm gonna get a job. I'm gonna be a father to my children. And I'm, you know, I watched my mom take her last breath. And two days later, I got arrested and went back to prison. That lifestyle had such a hold on me that I even lied to my mom on her deathbed.
We're in our 30th year here at Homeboy Industries, so it began uh, when I was pastor of a very poor parish that had the highest concentration of gang activity anywhere in Los Angeles. We had eight gangs at war with each other, and I started to bury kids in 1988, and, and this program essentially began then. But then they said, if only we had jobs, so we've tried to find felony-friendly employers, you know, who would hire them. That wasn't so forthcoming. So then we started crews, maintenance crews, landscaping crews that rival enemy gang members from the eight gangs working together. And then we started the bakery, silkscreen, recycling, lots of restaurants, a lot of food. We have nine social enterprises, and now we're the largest gang intervention reentry program on the planet. And I'd like to, um, once, once again, give myself a round of applause. So this is going to be her last day here at Humboldt Industries. As everyone knows, she got a job at Project 180. She has come a very, very long way, and she's a perfect example. When you do the work, this is the results. You know, my father was a heroin addict, so he'd have us in houses where we call shooting galleries, houses where everyone's just shooting dope. On top of that, you know, my father was very violent. He was constantly beating my mother. Um, we tried to protect my mom and he beat us too. So it was just like that. Four years old, I was like, bam, robbed of my childhood, like robbed of my innocence. I come from gangs. They run um, generations of gangs throughout my family or whatnot. My whole entire life, I've been going from jail to prison. Because usually when I get out of prison, I go back to doing what I do. I've uh, sold drugs, used drugs, robbed, whatever comes with the street life and eventually I'll get caught again and go back to prison, and it's a repeating cycle. You know, I had another son, and um, his mom was pregnant, giving birth in the hospital. And I remember my head thinking like, man, I have this baby so I could leave. I don't want to be here. So my son was born, and I was staring at my son, and I was um, watching his stomach move up and down, and I, I don't, I guess you could call it a spiritual awakening. For the first time in my life, I thought to myself, like, where did I go wrong in my life? I'm 49 years old, and I got more time in prison than I do on the streets. I was up north in a prison, and well, my oldest son, he's six years old. I recall him sending me a letter. He's like, Dad, I miss you. He's like, Dad, I never see you. And when I do see you, I only see you for like a month. Yeah, and um, I wrote back, I wrote back to my one night, um, like, son, um, please let your mom know that, um, yeah, you will never have to go through this again or whatnot. Like, what kind of man would, um, lie to his mother on her deathbed? What kind of man would just not raise his kids and not care? I might end up coming in here for life, and I'm never going to be able to come out and show my kids something that I wanted for myself. And it was that moment I knew I wanted to change my life. When you lived a certain way for so long, the little things just wow you. You say that I'm good, but what does that mean for what I have done and the things that I've seen?
I don't transform anybody, but I'll tell you, transformation happens here. So here we kind of go out of our way not to be tripped up by behavior, because behavior can be alarming here. So we always want to get underneath it. We want to go, what language is this behavior speaking? Out in the world, gang violence is a language. But if we understand what the language is, we can address it. So no less here, we don't want to be in a place where we off with their heads and zero tolerance and he colored outside the lines, he must be banished. We don't really do that here. For me, it's about goodness. It's not about becoming good. It's about discovering your goodness. That's the truth of who you are. Always no exceptions. Every tattoo that I have means something, like, you know what I mean? Or I've gone through something to where it's, I put it on myself basically, you know, as a reminder. The ones that we focus on are gonna be gang-related tattoos from the neck up and the wrist down. Getting them off is like helping that healing process of letting go of the past and embracing the, the future. The thing is that I didn't know how to change my life. I had no idea where to start. You know, I had an extensive criminal record, um, no work history, and um, my tattoos on my face were real dark at the time, and I couldn't find a job. So I came to Homeboys to break the cycle, to do something different. I didn't think places like this existed, where, you know, if you really want help, they're gonna help you and willing to do the extra for you. I never had that. So the way I see it, there's good in every single human life. There's good in everybody. and. That day I walked in here, Father G did see that. He like, look, son, he like, I see a lot of good stuff in you. And like, you're gonna be somebody. So I came to Old Boy Industries and that's, I walked through the doors and that's where my real transformation started. You know, they trusted me at a time where I didn't even trust myself. I love coming to work every morning. I love it. I love getting up in the morning. I get my kids ready to go to school. After that, I come over here and I just, I love it. I feel so good. So they pulled me aside and told me, hey, you know, like, all the work you've been doing on yourself and outside of here, like, it hasn't gone unnoticed. And, you know, you went above and beyond all our expectations. We want you to help us out on the other side as a navigator. With the courses I'm, I'm, I have an opportunity of taking, I can actually make a living for my family now. Yeah, through here, I'm getting my high school diploma. Yeah, um, I just, I just um, acquired a car. I never had a license or anything like that. I never thought I could. But with us as navigators, I walk with our trainees, I mentor them, and I, um, and I guide them through our program, the same program that I went through. They can't tell us, you don't know where I come from. Oh, you don't know what it's like, because like, nah, nah, I mean, like, I know where you come from. And so, if love is the answer, community is the context, but tenderness is the methodology. And that's the whole point of this place. It's really about the power of tenderness to keep people anchored in the present moment and feeling cherished at all times, you know, which is always gonna be a reflection of the God we have. But if you can stay tender with yourself and with another person, it keeps you in the present moment. And that's the only place where joy can happen and it is the only antidote to our misery.
I'm real proud of myself right now. That's something I'm real proud to say. I'm a great father, a great provider. Yeah, I changed so much. It brought me back closer to God. I'm building a better rapport with my daughter, my grandbaby, I'm spending time with them. So today I'm living a normal life. You know, I'm not accustomed to that. My main thing with my team is every day we do our check-ins because I want them all to know that, they're, that we're a team and that we all have the same struggles. And I don't ever want to make them think I'm the supervisor. And, um, and it's important that they know that I need them in order for me to keep healing as well, that we need each other, we feed off each other. David, you're one of the best human beings ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> hey, my love, let me see that baby. Oh my God. Can you believe this guy's back? Yeah, yeah. back in action. God is identifying these kind of subgroupings of the poor. These are the folks who know what it's like to have been cut off. And because they've suffered in this particular way, God thinks they're trustworthy guides to lead the rest of us, which is a different concept because people are always wanting to go to the margins to make a difference. Whereas I think we're being invited to go to the margins so that the folks at the margins make us different. That turns the whole thing on its head because suddenly we're not rescuing and saving them. It's quite the opposite. If you open me up, what do you think that you'd find? Am I someone you trust? Can we be Hope you'll keep watching some of those videos. That was bright. <laughs> <laughs> if you got a Bible, I'm going to jump to one of my favorite passages. You can turn to Acts chapter 10. In, in this week and, and probably next week as well, and we'll see how far it goes after that, we're going to talk about what are some of the barriers that actually hinder us from actually loving our neighbors. Because if we're honest, there are barriers, right? While accepting the award for best foreign language film for Parasite at the 2020 Golden Globes, the director Bong Joon-ho said, once you overcome the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you're introduced to so many more amazing films. And he goes on to, to describe and invite people to get past a barrier that might limit them. And, and I was thinking about that story. He went on to win four Oscars as well for this film, and everybody was you know, praising them. For the first time ever, uh, an Oscar for Best Picture was given to a, a non-English film. But, but the story around it was the sense of, of, of people moving beyond the limitations to experience something else. Every one of us has limitations. Some of them are deep-rooted. 
Some of them are certainly God, that he puts some things in place to, to hold us in place and to keep us from falling off of certain ledges and certain things that we could fall into. But, but quite often, those barriers need to move, especially when it comes to us learning to love our neighbor. Acts 10, one of my favorite stories, because it's a really confusing one for some. Starting at the beginning, you get the story of a guy named Cornelius. It says this, at that time, go with that. At that time, there was a Roman military officer, Cornelius, uh, who was in charge of a hundred men stationed in Caesarea. He was the captain of of the Italian regiment, a devout and extraordinary character who worshipped God, prayed regularly, together with all of his family. Now, we need to stop right here because there's something weird in this story. We need to understand that right from the beginning, we are given this really weird moment that this Roman guy, he's an occupier of the Jewish people, the leader of a military force who was there to keep people under control, under oppression. This guy is described like this. That somehow along the way, before the disciples had even gone out to start preaching the story to the Gentiles, somehow this guy has had an encounter. Now, the weird part about this, if you're following in in order in Scripture, the weird part right before this, if you're in chapter 9, we read about this other unlikely person who encounters Jesus. His name was Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians, a devout Jewish guy. But God himself intervenes. Jesus intervenes into this man's story where he is and begins to lead him to discover the story of truth. The story begins with God already out there working in Saul's life, and then he comes to an understanding. The same thing happens clearly here. Somehow, God has already been working in this guy's life even before they get, he gets brought to the space of really understanding who God really is. It's an important thing for us to remember. I think often we, we look at it as it's our job to bring God to the world when the reality is his mission, he's never stopped working on it. And right now, outside of these walls, he is working in people's lives. They're encountering him every day. They may not understand what's happening. They may not know what's going on in the moment, but God is at work. And so this guy is there, and, and here it gets even weirder. If you scroll down a little farther, uh, one in the afternoon, sorry, one afternoon at about three o'clock, he had an open vision and saw the angel of the God appeared right in front of him, calling out his name. Wow. Cornelius! Startled, he's overcome with fear, as, as you would be if that happened. And he says, what do you want, Lord? And basically the Lord, through this angel, encourages him, tells him, you, you know, you're on the right path. You need to seek out this guy called Peter, Simon, or the rock. Not the big jacked guy. This is Peter, the rock. Um, and told him where he's staying and said, you got to seek him out. So if you're following, he, the angel left, and Cornelius sends his servants to go hang out, find where Peter is. Peter's in this place called Joppa. The story gets weird, 
Because Peter, it says, and I'm, I don't want to go too far. Yeah, let's go anyways. The next morning, um, Peter gets up and he goes up to pray on the flat roof. And while he's on the roof, he has an incredible vision. And it's, it's, a, it's a confusing moment for him. Because the vision he sees is a blanket, a picture kind of like a picnic blanket, coming down, and on top of the blanket were animals with four feet, reptiles, and birds. And on this picnic blanket are all these incredible animals that Jews are not allowed to eat. And the Lord speaks to him and says, Bon appetit. He says, Kill and eat these animals. And of course, Peter, a devout Jew, his response is, no, I would never, ever, ever do that. You know, I would never do that. That's, that's forbidden in our Jewish laws. We would never do this. This is not something. And again, it descends again a second time. And God says the same thing, eat up. And he's like, no, can't do it. Not going to do it. I, this, this is a test, right? This is a test. I won't do it. I won't do it. One more time, it happens again in this vision. And he sees this same thing, and the Lord says, says it's time for you to eat. And the most important part of that is, is the voice again speaks and says, in that middle part there, nothing is unclean if God declares it's to be clean. It's a powerful statement. After this, Peter is stunned, obviously. What do you do with this? And it's a question, you know, you know, what do you do? What do you do when God tells you to do something that might seem outside of your understanding of what the rules might be? That's an interesting question. Because the question sometimes comes, you know, are the rules stuff that we had made? Is it a man-made thing that, that we have to sort out? In this case, if you were to jump back to Leviticus 11, God was incredibly clear to his people and said, this is what you can eat, this is what you cannot eat. He told them this hundreds of years before this, point by point, eat this thing, don't eat that thing, eat this, don't eat that, and then, then this happens. And God tells him something that's way outside of the frame of, of what he understood the law and the truth to be in the moment. So what do you do? What do you do when something like this happens? Something that's outside our frame of reference, outside of our understanding, what do you do? You keep pressing in and you seek for the Holy Spirit to bring clarity. That's all you can do. You could seek for the Holy Spirit to bring clarity. You could ask people, but at the end of the day, your goal then would be to press in and say, Lord, what is it that you want to do? And it says, he spends more time just seeking the Holy Spirit. He's deep in thought, trying to interpret this, saying, Lord, what does this mean? And the Spirit says to him, go downstairs. There are three men who are looking for you. Don't hesitate to go with them. You simply follow what the Spirit is going to do to lead you out. That's, just, that's all you can do. Uh, the Spirit leads him. He has a door, an opportunity that's in front of him, and he begins to take one step through to follow where the Spirit is leading him, to go with these men. Now, these men were, were Romans, so I'm sure right off the bat, he's thinking, okay, I just had a vision. God told me to do something that is a Gentile thing, and two, some three Gentiles throw open my door. So there's probably something happening here in this moment. 
because I've sent them. Yeah. We'll come back to that in a second. He takes his time. He doesn't immediately run to the first fried gecko on a stick stand and say, Lord, the Lord told me I can do this. He stops, he waits, and he says, Spirit, guide me on this journey. If you're leading in this, if this is where you want us to go, I need you to make it clear so I can follow into this place that seems very unknown, very outside of my realm of understanding or comfort. Last week, Clayton at Engage did a fantastic job of highlighting, I really think, what some of the heart of this story is. This tension that we live in often between the story of law and the story of grace. And, and, and Clayton did a fantastic job describing that there was glory on the old law, right? There was so much glory on it that Moses, when he went up to get the Ten Commandments, comes down, his face is shining. He has to like literally cover himself so he didn't blind the people around him. There was glory on that story, Yet Jesus describes it, that, and as you read through, through Paul and others, they highlight this incredible story that this new covenant, that glory was transferred to this new story. And that new covenant, as we read in the beginning, is boiled down to a simple command that needs to be fleshed and lived out, but love God, love others. That love story, as he writes the story of the new covenant on our hearts, it says. And for 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit has been actively at work trying to teach each of us what the new covenant actually looks like, what the covenant written on our hearts actually looks like. Peter gets up. He uh, goes, hangs out with these guys. They spend the night there. The next morning, he heads out to this guy, Cornelius' place. And he shows up, and it's an awkward thing. Obviously, these guys don't know anything about you know, faith. About... And as he opens the door, Cornelius comes down and starts bowing down and worshiping Peter. And Peter's like, get up, get up. Don't worship me. I'm not. And, and this, this scene, you could, he, Cornelius had gathered a whole bunch of people. I'm assuming some of the soldiers, some of his family members. And they were all packed into his, I'm sure, mansion that he had there. And, and, and as Peter walks in the door, he, uh, you know, he says this thing, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. You know that, right? I'm not supposed to be hanging out with you guys. I'm not supposed to be eating with you. But I'm here because I think this is where the Spirit led me. Cornelius then tells him about the, the angel that visited him, that, that he didn't know about that part of the story, that, that God had shown up and guided him to, to reach out. And so this, this incredible moment happens where then Peter begins to preach. And these guys are just sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to hear. And the craziest thing happens partway through the preaching. While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit cascades over all those listening to the message. And then the Jewish guys that are with Peter are like astounded. They're like, what is happening? The gift of the Holy Spirit, the thing that happened in the upper room for us special people, suddenly is happening here with these people. They're speaking in other tongues. They're passionately praising God. What is going on? This is not supposed to happen. And you can just see this humbling moment for Peter and for these guys as they recognize God doesn't fit in the boxes that I would ever try to put him in. That he's so much bigger than that. 
His love for all of mankind is constantly on display. His desire for every one of his children to know his love, his power, his presence is bigger than any of us could understand. These guys end up having this incredible encounter, this incredible moment. They end up getting baptized. Everybody who's there over the next couple of days, Pete hangs out with them for a few more days, chowing down on some, I don't know, pigs and whatever else they're having there non-kosher meals, and has an incredible time with these people. But, but we have to understand how significant this moment was. Because the very next chapter in Acts 11, the news traveled fast and soon reached the apostles and the believers. This is all the other good Jewish people living in Judea. And the, and the non-Jewish people were also, that, sorry, that the non-Jewish people were also receiving God's message of new life. And when Peter finally arrived in Jerusalem, the Jewish brothers called him to task saying, what do you think you're doing? How dare you stay with these people? You even ate their food, I heard. That's ridiculous. And so for some of us, that's some of our biggest fears. You know, if God calls me to go to some place, what are people going to think? What are they going to think about me? What are they going to think about, about the things they hear about me when I'm with these people? About a year ago at this time, I had this weird moment where I really just felt God was really speaking and leading, and out of the blue, this weird opportunity popped up for me to to step out and do something I had never actually thought really ever put any thought into. I never planned on fighting MMA in my life. It wasn't something that I was planning or it was like someday, if only this could happen. It was nothing like that. But I will say, and this is the part where people are like, eh, that just seems weird. I'm like, I really felt God leading me through this open door for this season. And it was weird, and, and certainly on the surface, I was people, I, could have, I, would, I didn't really even think of it that much, but I'm like, there's probably some people that are going to frown on this. But at the time, I just felt God leading in this moment. And, and so over the next five months, you know, five days a week, I was training with these random people who uh, none of them were believers. <laughs> That's not true. One was. One was a believer. But the incredible things that God did in that time as I built connection and relationship that to this day that there's some, some good friends and some people that we connect with, I connect with regularly. Even the crazier part was the guy that I fought in a cage and punched in the head is, is a really good friend of mine now <laughs> who, who he lives in Idaho. And again, he grew up in church but didn't really have much. And so in the times, you know, since we've gotten to know each other, he's, you know, reached out and asked for questions, asked for prayer on things. And and I have no doubt that God led me into this. Now, coming out of it, I don't think I realized the significance of how many people would be like, pastors don't punch people. Because <laughs> it's way outside the frame of reference. And what I love about Peter, he did not run back immediately and say, well, this is what you all should do now. Let's all go out and have some bacon and whatever. Like, he didn't say that this is what the plan is. He just came back, and then the next whole part of the chapter in 11 is him just telling them what happened, that, that, that this is what God showed me, this is where he led me, and this is what I saw God do. And it says at the end of it, the people who heard that, who really heard it, 
They started worshiping God and praising him too. They're like, man, this is incredible. But I'm sure there were still some of those who were like, no, no, we don't do that. And, and so I think that, you know, I've been thinking about this all week of, you know, the places where I think God will lead us to next. And the barriers that might be in front of, of all of us, the fears of what other people might think is a big one for some of us. You know, what are the fears that hold you back from doing what God is calling you to do? What are the, the very real, tangible things that you, you were scared of might happen? You know, is it a fear that, you know, what people might think, but, but maybe you're afraid that, <laughs> afraid that you might make yourself unclean by associating with certain people? For some people, that might be the fear. And all I can tell you is, if the Lord is leading you there, trust Him. Trust His Spirit. Jesus got made fun of all the time for hanging out with the drunkards. Are you afraid of, maybe, maybe for some of you actually, it's, it's a fear of um, maybe some people or different races or different groups of people that, that you struggle with. And that's, that's, I'm going to be honest, there are some people, some people groups, some races that, that people here might struggle with, connecting with. Those are very real fears, and I'm not, I'm not here to downplay it or to sugarcoat it. That's exactly what Jesus did when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, right? He picked a Samaritan as the, the hero of the story, the most hated race group in, in all of the, the area of Israel. These, these people were hated by the Jews. They were thought of as lowly, less than human people that, that weren't worthy. Maybe for some of us, that's some of our fears. Maybe some of us are afraid that God actually is, is actually calling us to, to work with those people. Maybe he already has and we're afraid what that might mean. All I can tell you is, that if God is calling you there, he will equip you. Trust his spirit. And for some of us, there might need to be some deep healing that actually has to happen for us to move forward. Some healing from things that have happened to us. Some wounds by some people or certain situations that, that create the fears as a, as a defense mechanism because we don't want to be hurt again. We don't want to fail. Whatever the fears are. And maybe for some of us, it's fears that that we might not be equipped or qualified to speak into the lives of the people that God is calling us to. For some of you, that, you might feel, you know, I feel God leading me to work with these people, but I don't, I don't think I am qualified for this. I don't think I have the skills or the, the ability or the... And what I love, Father Gregory Boyle, the one you saw in that video earlier, uh, I encourage you, there's like a ton of videos on YouTube including a TED Talk that he did that's got millions of views, that, where he tells more of the story of, of how he, as a, you know, a Catholic priest, gets sent to a, a very, very challenging part of L.A. with you know, the highest level of gang stuff, and him walking into there feeling, man, I'm, I'm not one of these people. I've never been that, I've never shot anyone, so I don't think I can have the right to speak into these lives. And, and the sense, though, as, and I love reading in, or hearing in one of the videos, it says, what does a bald white priest have in common with hardened gang members of black and Latino descent? And he said that God spoke to him clearly, and he heard this. He said, 
guess what? You're both humans and you're all my children. You are equipped with all that you will need for this task. Love is the weapon of choice. Father G, as they call him, regularly talks about position and posture being everything when it comes to the story of loving our neighbors. Knowing our position in Christ does not elevate us to a higher status in our relationship with our neighbors or those who do not yet know Christ. Christ had the highest position possible, God, yet he humbled himself even to the place of death on a cross. When Peter follows Cornelius and meets him for the first time, or follows the, the guys to see Cornelius, he, he says this. Once he came into my office. No, nope, he doesn't say that. He says this. He says, Peter said to them, you all know that it is against Jewish laws for me to even associate with you or visit with the home of one who is not a Jew. Yet God has shown me that I should never view anyone as inferior we're ritually unclean. I think it's a big one for some of us in the church. I think it's a big statement when we, we think about how we approach those who we connect with. This is the word of God. That, that, that sometimes when we come in with that space of we're here and you're here, it immediately creates a barrier on their end and hinders them from actually discovering the power and love of what Jesus has done and what he desires for them. There's a ton of great videos from Father Gregory, but I want to watch one more little clip, and then we'll wrap up. Once he came into my office, and he said, AG, kick me down with 20 bones, yeah? I said, what do you need $20 for? Taking my lady to the movies. I said, well, how old are you? 12. I go, 12? How old is your lady? 16. I said, 16? He goes, yeah, but she's short. Here's $20. And then he sort of loved, you know, picking up English expressions from, you know, commercials and TV. One day he came in, I think he had learned this from like a Pollo Loco commercial, and, and he said, hey, gee, you know what you are? You're the real deal. <laughs> I remember there wasn't school the next day. It was around nine, and it was kind of a warm evening, and uh, Beto was playing with his cousin. There were two gang members standing in front of a dumpster smoking cigarettes, and a van came in with two gang members with heavy weapons. And they see the two gang members and they begin to open fire. But Beto didn't move and because he hesitated for even a second, suddenly a very large bullet entered his side and traveled through his body and, and left. The doctor who uh, attended to him told me later, just the sheer force of this traveling through his body, the sheer reverberation of it, had rendered him paralyzed from the waist down, though it had never even touched his spine. I went to the hospital, and I sat there with Betito's grandmother. But an hour into the time that he was in the intensive care unit, I could see through the glass as a team of doctors and nurses ran in there and pounded on his chest and begged and pleaded with his heart to cooperate, and, and it just wouldn't. And he died. Now, Betito was precocious and smart, and he was 12 years old, and he was the real deal. 
But two days later, I knew who the two guys were in the van. And it was excruciating for me to be unable to hate them because I knew them. And I knew their stories, and I knew the terror, and I knew the torture that had darkened their lives. I knew all that had happened to them. And I knew that they also were the real deal. But they just hadn't found their way to a safe haven where healing happens. Things have happened to them that have darkened their lives forever. Until, that is, they find relief, a sanctuary, a safe haven where healing can happen. You have to heal before you can have hope. How can we move from being separate and superior to connected and compassionate? How then can we together be accountable to the invitation? The invitation is to place one's fears in the cradle of loving kindness. All of us stare at our own shared ruin, and then we walk away together. All of us finding our true selves in a community of tenderness, all of us essential allies to each other. We find, in fact, our fundamental identity in each other. Each one of us, the real deal, and there are no exceptions to that. Do not forget who you are. Homework time. You can watch the next video in the series. I think it's number seven. Uh, it's an interesting story of, again, a starting place. Um, how do we start from our strengths? And the, the goal behind these videos is to, is to challenge us to begin to, to create space in our lives for God to speak, for him to, to, to maybe highlight some things, the unique things that he might want to release through us that can actually impact the world around us. Your homework, watch the video. But I want to make it real simple this week. We're talking about loving, uh, we're talking about loving our neighbors. And the problem for many of us, we don't even actually know our actual neighbors. That's the scary thought. So this week, your homework is this. I want you to talk to your actual neighbor this week. I get that thought. For some of you, that actually just had a mild panic attack at that thought. For some of you, you might know your neighbors quite well. Maybe you've connected with them. But I'm, I'm going to challenge you this week to, to try to connect with your neighbor. So for some of you, that might, you might want to spend the early part of the week praying and saying, Lord, just make it a, a random bumping into each other while we're getting the mail or, or you know, getting into our cars. But, but I want you to actually step out and, and create a connection, a moment to get to know who your neighbor is, okay? Start with a simple prayer this week. Simple, simple, simple prayer. Jesus. You gave an incredibly clear command to love my neighbor. Lord, please help me to not just be a hearer of your word, but to actually respond and live it out. Holy Spirit, equip me to connect with my actual neighbor this week. Give me the right words to say to connect with them. May your love for them create in me a love for them. 
May I feel your love for them as I reach out. Help me not to be weird. I'm, I'm saying put that in the prayer, all right? Help me not to be weird, but simply be myself. The real deal. The person who you created me to be. Amen. Can we do that this week? I know it seems simple, but you might want to try baked goods if you need to, to, to reach out. And you know, if by the end of the week you haven't gotten to see them yet, and I, again, I challenge you just to reach out, bring some, something over to them. And you could even, if you want, throw me under the bus to say, I've got this crazy friend and he challenged me this week to actually get to know my neighbor because I heard some stats, for example, that, that the problem, some of the problems in our community is that we don't know our neighbors well. So that's why crime goes on the rise. That's why we see so many issues with youth and kids because it does take a village to raise a child, that there is incredible things that happen when we begin to connect together. So feel free to throw me under the bus if you'd like. And if you don't want to make it too crazy, just say, you know, we believe in healthier communities. And, and just if you ever need anything, I'm your neighbor. Let me know. I'd love to help. Okay? Feel free to give them your number if you trust them. Give them a key to your house, whatever you want to do. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but I'd like you to go a step further beyond that. Because it's easy just to have a surface, shallow conversation with somebody, right? Super, for some people it's easy. For some it's not. But, but it's easy to go at that level. I would challenge you, if you can... And if it's, if it, you know, feel led by the Spirit, again, not, not by me, if it's led by the Spirit, I want to challenge you to set up a time to connect with them for coffee. So if you have to go somewhere else, or you can invite them over and say, hey, let's get together for coffee. Let's, I'd love to hear more about who you are, more about your story. Maybe even invite them for dinner if it feels natural. If it's somebody that you've known for a long time and you've never done dinner or you have before, do it again. Invite them over. Have dinner with them. Try not to make it too weird, but, but I want you to actually... Take this seriously and try to actually build relationship with your real neighbor, okay? How many people are freaking out right now? How many people are like, oh, I'm so glad I never do these homework things anyways? <laughs> you know, the, the heart behind this when it comes to our fears is, uh, is for some of us, we just have to learn how to do what Jesus did. That there is no greater love than being willing to lay down our lives for someone else. Now, I'm not asking you to take a bullet for anybody. But for some of us, this step of reaching out to actually connect with our neighbor might feel the same way. <laughs> but I'm asking you to lay your life down, to, to get out of the way, so that maybe, just maybe, God might do something through you to pour out his love to connect with somebody else beside you. And I know it seems probably silly and simple on some levels but it's a place to start. Because this is the whole moment of this season as we move towards Easter and celebrating what Jesus has done for us. Celebrating that, that he would go to whatever lengths he had to to make sure that every one of us knew that we were loved. And then he invited us into that same story of partnering with him to do the same thing to make sure that everybody who's part the human race gets to know how much their heavenly father loves them. That for God so loved the world that he gave his son. That is an incredibly powerful message. We call it the gospel. The good news.